Motherhood is Murder contains graphic and explicit content that may not be appropriate for all listeners. Discretion is advised. Well, hello. (laughs) Welcome to episode three of Motherhood is Murder. My name is Valerie Cation. And I've been putting off recording this episode because I have this kind of cold sinus infection kind of thing, (laughs) and it's affecting how I sound, but it's not getting any better. And I definitely want this episode to come out on time. So a little bit of time afforded itself to me. So I am here. I am really warm today. In Massachusetts, where I live, it's a balmy like 50 degrees. And so now I'm hot and I'm sweating. In my regular day-to-day job, I'm also a yoga teacher. So, you know, you can look me up, probably find some stuff about me in the yoga space. But uh, so I'm still in my yoga clothes from teaching this morning. Uh, Hot mess because I haven't been feeling that great, but I want to still bring you some awesome content. So if you want to see all of this hot mess, (laughs) then you can join Patreon and uh, become a member of Motherhood is Murder. First of all, I really appreciate the support. And secondly, you get to see all of this in not real time, but in video format. All (laughs) righty. Well, let's, in all due seriousness, let's get to the case that we're discussing uh, this week. This week, we will discuss the mysterious case of James Allenson. On the surface, this case looks pretty cut and dried. As we get deeper into the murder, the trial, and issues surrounding the case, you may find that this seemingly simple case is actually quite complex. And there are questions that cannot be answered. And again, we're talking about a teenage offender and a teenage victim, both high school students at Lincoln Sudbury Regional High School in Sudbury, Massachusetts. What's curious about this case is that James Allenson and his killer went to the same school, but did not know each other. There are a lot of whys in this case. So let's dive in. James Allenson was a 15-year-old student at Lincoln Sudbury Regional High School in Sudbury, Massachusetts. Sudbury is a relatively affluent town west of Boston with a current population of 18,000, so relatively small town. Lincoln, Massachusetts has a current population of about 6,300 people, so we're talking about a pretty quaint suburban area. James has been described as happy, wanting to connect with others, and always, quote, the center of things at school. From what I could see from articles and his memorial website, he took great care to get schoolwork done, study, and was involved in school activities. And honestly, I wish there was more information that I could find on James Allenson. There is so much coverage on the perpetrator while I was researching, and it was such a missed opportunity. You know, this is a murder that took place in 2007, and I feel like a lot has changed with media coverage uh, since since then, but at this point, way more information about his perpetrator than the victim. John Odgren 
was a 16-year-old student who lived in Princeton, Massachusetts, which is about 35 minutes or so away from Sudbury to the Northwest. Odgren attended Lincoln Sudbury as a special needs student transfer that was part of the Greater Opportunities Program at Lincoln Sudbury. I'll discuss a little bit more about John Odgren's academic history in a moment. John was described as a good student and good at memorizing things, although struggled with writing. He would also become visibly upset when his grades were lower than he had expected. Additionally, the principal, Scott Carpenter, who was also the superintendent at that time, mentioned to Metro West News that he had quote-unquote dealt with Odgren following a graffiti incident in the bathroom. Originally, Odgren denied participating in graffiti in that bathroom, then later admitted to doing it. A few days later, Odgren stopped by the principal's office to provide updates of new graffiti that was in the bathrooms. So interesting, but we'll get to it. Students reported that Odgren was quote unquote sketchy, talked about his knife collection, wore trench coats, had few friends, and was teased a lot by other students. One student, a friend of John's, mentioned that John was teased at school and treated like an outcast. He said John was imaginative, smart, and socially awkward. Another friend mentioned that some students would make fun of John to his face, thinking he wouldn't understand them. John Odgren had a history of neurological issues and mental health challenges prior to attending high school at Lincoln Sudbury. He was previously diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome and was also diagnosed with depression, anxiety, and ADHD. He had reached a crisis point in seventh grade while attending Thomas Prince School in Princeton. He was then transferred to the Caldwell School in Fitchburg, then moved to several more schools before entering the Greater Opportunities Program at Lincoln Sudbury. Although I could not find what the crisis was that prompted the transfers from Thomas Prince School, there was reference to violent actions at a number of schools, which prompted multiple transfers. And this was something that was disclosed in a civil suit following the Allenson murder trial. On January 18th, 2007, John Allenson picked up his son James from school and watched him study for his Spanish midterms that night. John later went to bed and woke up to hear James leaving for school the next morning. He would never see his son James alive again. During trial, he lamented this moment, stating, I could have opened the window and watched him leave, but I didn't. John Odgren reportedly scoped out a couple of bathrooms before discovering James Allenson in one of them. He was armed with a kitchen knife, which was later found at the scene, and traced to a missing knife, now bloodied, matching a set at his home, as well as a drawing in John's notebook. John then stabbed Allenson eight times. James's autopsy showed stab wounds to the liver and heart. A witness reported that upon being stabbed, James stated, quote, what are you doing to me? You're hurting me. Stop. He then stumbled out of the bathroom into the hallway. John Odgren immediately admitted to the stabbing and asked another student to get help. He stated, quote, 
don't let him die. It was all me. I did this. I just went crazy. He then kept asking if Allenson would be okay. Allenson later succumbed to his injuries at Emerson Hospital in Concord, Massachusetts. So this is where one of the biggest questions comes up. Why? Right? Why? Why did John Odgren stab James Allenson, someone he didn't know, eight times in a high school bathroom? Odgren's subsequent trial would try to gain some understanding of this. Those of you who listen to true crime stories and podcasts know that investigators will say that motive does not have to be clear in order for a murder to occur. As human beings, we often look to understand things more deeply in order to deter events like this from happening in the future. The why of it all can be very important. I can't say I can provide a clear perspective here, but I will try to provide some background information and trial coverage. One of the key components of the case at trial was the defense's argument that Odgren was not criminally responsible as he suffered from mental illness. Three specialists testified that Odgren had, quote, lost touch with reality and was in a state of paranoia at the time of the murders. Odgren's father testified that his son had started treatment for major depressive disorder in third grade. He was later diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, ADHD, anxiety, and other mental health disorders. They stated that his mental health would have made premeditation impossible and that he had lost touch with reality on the day of the murder. The defense also argued that Odgren was teased and harassed by fellow students in various schools, including Lincoln Sudbury, all contributing factors to his mental state. Odgren had talked of suicide at a mere nine years old and told a counselor that his mind, quote, buzzed like a million bees. In grade school, he told his psychiatrist that if he had three wishes, it would be for a million dollars a lifetime of junk food, and to not be bullied. The prosecution, however, argued that Odgren was a calculated killer who dove into a fantasy world consumed by violent stories like Stephen King's Dark Tower. Odgren kept a list of items he wanted in case of the end of the world. Included on this list were a Ruger pistol, speed loader, serrated knife, blanket, and teddy bear. He would often blurt out, what do I get for manslaughter, 10 or 15? The defense mentioned that Odgren also talked about committing the, quote, perfect murder and referenced stabbing a stranger in an isolated place. A state-certified psychiatrist argued Odgren knew what he was doing and was aware of the consequences when he attacked, citing statements he made to teachers after the murder. Additionally, Jurors listened to telephone calls that Odgren made while awaiting trial. During these calls, Odgren laughed and talked about his fascination with weapons and violence. A jury of seven women and five men convicted John Odgren of first-degree murder and sentenced to him to life without parole. In 2019, Odgren's attorneys submitted an appeal on the basis that the jury was given improper instructions and allowed to hear a jailhouse recording, which should have been excluded. The appeal was denied on September 4th, 2019.
So this is a, another case where there are a lot of facets to it. Um, and I wanted to go on a like little bit of a deeper dive on Asperger's syndrome. As it comes up repeatedly in this case, I was curious about the rate of violence in individuals with Asperger's as I had never heard about violent tendencies in relationship with this condition. Asperger's is a form of autism spectrum, spectrum disorder or ASD. It is a developmental disorder that can result in difficulty relating to others socially and rigid or repetitive thinking patterns. While those with Asperger's can speak with others and often do well in school, they have trouble in social situations and with subtle communication such as body language, humor, and sarcasm. They can often think and talk about one topic only and indulge in a small range of activities. Boys are three to four times more likely to have this condition, and diagnosis is generally between the ages of five and nine years. Causes of the condition are attributed to genetics, brain abnormalities, and is classified as a neurobiological disorder. Treatment can be for, found in the form of social skills, behavior support, CBS, which is cognitive behavioral uh, therapy, parent education, speech language therapy, occupational therapy, special education, and medication. According to a study with the National Institute of Health, 7.3% of those with ASD have been convicted of violent offense. Factors in violence can include age, male gender, ASD diagnosis, comorbid psychosis, substance abuse, and personality disorder. In a study of 422 individuals, 15 years and older with ASD, and the same sociodemographics and comorbidity rates display the same rate of violence as those without ASD. The comorbidities that were studied were schizophrenia, which resulted in 18% rate of violent offenses, personality disorder, which was 33% of offenses, and substance use at 71%. Their results stated that there was no direct correlation between autism and violence, but that, they, that those with autism are capable of committing a crime, including homicide. So that's a lot. It was a mouthful for me, <laughs> especially being sick, and it's a lot of study. But what the study is saying is that those with ASD and those without, with the co comorbidities that I mentioned, were at the same percentage as far as rate of violence. And what it looks like to me is that the comorbidities, depending on what they are, could increase those rates of violence by ASD, which is autism spectrum disorder, which Asperger's is um, included under. Uh, wouldn't be a factor. So as we look into this, it seems likely that the autism, the Asperger syndrome wouldn't necessarily be a factor in violence in this case. That makes sense. So as we look at what communities can do to mitigate violence in schools and provide support for those with mental health concerns, I want to touch briefly on bullying. So I have two children who have received special education services in public schools in Massachusetts. There is something called an IEP, which is an individual education plan that can be provided to a student that needs extra help. 
in the IEP plan, there is a question on whether the student would be vulnerable to bullying or could become a bully. The IEP can answer yes to one or both of these, which would mean that the student would be provided additional support should they be a victim or perpetrator of bullying. I am not sure of when this went into effect um, in an IEP. However, I'd be curious how Lincoln Sudbury addressed bullying at the occurrence of this crime. You know, could the high school have done more to monitor John Odgren to be sure he was being treated fairly, especially with di his diagnoses, and because he was receiving special education services at the time. I think John was just considered an odd individual who talked about odd and uncomfortable things. I didn't read much about how the school went about helping him and providing fellow students with more understanding for those with developmental disorders, such as ASD. So I think we've, you know, as a society have learned a lot more about ASD and hopefully students are learning more about that. And there's more awareness about students that have autism and, and hopefully schools are changing. And I think they are because I know the school that my kids go to um, and the school that we previously went to in Massachusetts um, had a lot of support for, for, their special education students and really wanted to make sure that they were successful and that they weren't being bullied, nor were they bullying others. So um, just something to note. As we look at what communities can do moving forward, I would also suggest bullying prevention programs. Many schools in Massachusetts have implemented these, and I do think that awareness is key and can be further monitored by school administration. Safe Harbor was launched in 1991 by Safe Horizon New York City to help students, faculty, and families cope with violence, not just in schools, but anywhere violence occurs, which, as we know, can occur anywhere, correct? Yeah. They provide victim assistance, violence prevention curriculum, and offer 10 core lessons, including individual and group counseling, parent involvement, staff training, enhancing relationships with adults, structured group activities, and school-wide anti-violence campaigns. I often feel that when students don't understand something and are not provided guidance by adults, they will question whatever it is. In this case, students and teachers did not seem to understand ASD, which may have led to multiple school transfers for John Odgren, and also left him open to bullying by fellow students and misunderstanding from the administration. In the advent of social media, again, I think this is there's far more awareness. We talked about this a moment ago, and many schools are raising that awareness to help students with ASD. I can't say definitively that this would have prevented this murder, but it may have done something. So as with many cases, the offender, like we discussed earlier, becomes the focus. Um, and so many of us will wonder why, what is the motive? How can we do better? I want to end this episode with a focus on James Allenson. James Allenson's family has set up a memorial website to honor James. There is a touching slideshow on the site showing James enjoying his life, engaging with family, and contributing so well to society. There is a tab to donate in his honor to the Boston Foundation through the James F. Allenson Memorial Fund. 
I have included links in the show notes. James was a kind, compassionate person who had so much to live for, and his life was cut short, depriving all of us for the good works he was sure to do moving forward. So that is all for this episode on the case of James Allenson. And you know, next week we'll explore the psychology behind teenage boys who commit murder. So it's going to be a little bit different. We won't cover a case, but we'll discuss the biopsychosocial characteristics of the teen murderer to gather more information and understanding about these cases we covered, as well as others. So we'll also discuss some similarities in each one of these cases. Hello. Two out of the three involved bathrooms. Not sure if that's a thing. Looking forward to looking into that. And also what we can learn for them, what we can do as a community to support um, and look for signs, right? So, so great. I hope you're having a wonderful week. I hope spring is being good to you wherever you are. And uh, yeah, we will see you next week. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. Do you love the show? Support Motherhood is Murder on Patreon and get some awesome perks, including a shout out on the show, bonus content, access to a private online community, and more. We appreciate the support so much, and it allows me to offer a case to you each and every week. Motherhood is Murder is researched, written, and produced by me, Valerie Cation. Music by Alexi Action. Check out the show notes for a list of my sources and ways to support your community.